Welcome into episode 17 of the Sources Say podcast, a brand new addition to the growing KSR podcast network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Happy to be joined once again by two of the best up and coming recruiting insiders in the game, Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. Travis, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. How are you guys? I am doing just absolutely fantastic. David, how are you? Doing great. Very cool. Very before cool. we before we get started, Jack, uh, I understand you have some big news during the early signing period. <laughs> Signed, sealed, delivered. I I got my own uh, major major commitment. I asked the big question, guys. I did it. I I am an engaged man, and it was it's a. Uh, Pretty, it was a pretty special night, I must admit. It happened on Sunday night. Um, I took my girlfriend out to the Lion King in Louisville, and uh, we had a. It was a fantastic night. We had an amazing seat, second row. I mean, it, it just it, the the play itself was phenomenal. Uh, took her on up to uh, upstairs during intermission, and. Uh, Pop the big question there, and she said yes, and the rest is history. So yeah, it's a, it was a major, major commitment for the University of Jack Pilgrim. Well, let me ask you this: Was this like a um, if you compared it to wins? Is this like going to Cameron and beating Duke, or is it like <laughs> a home win against Utah Valley? Oh well, it is not a home win over Utah Valley. Let me say that right now. This is this is basically you know that feeling that you get when when you you know when Kentucky won their eighth national championship in 2012. That feeling of wow, they finally finally broke that hump over you know Calipari has hasn't won uh, and he finally got his championship. He finally got it in at Kentucky. That's what that moment felt like. Let me tell you. You can win the big game, buddy. Oh, I know. I I I know how to win under pressure. I I uh perf- I performed under pressure. And, and let me tell you, there was so we walk in and and I had you know when you go to a play or you know even like the movie theater or whatever, they have signage everywhere of the big event, whatever's going on. So I've been to a couple plays in the past, and I was I was anticipating, uh, you know, I'd show up. There'd be this big beautiful Lion King signage, and I would you know. Uh, I, I had a videographer, uh, Bradley B-Roll McKee, my, my man, with he, he works for KSR with us. I had him uh, signed on to, to come record it for me. And, you know, I, I envisioned walking in and, and getting down on my knee in front of this beautiful carpet and, and you know, this awesome backdrop of the Lion King. And, and I had this, this vision in my head, and I, I walk in there, and the entire place is under construction. And it looks like a, a construction zone, the, the entire building. And I was like, oh, well, this is just majestic. And this is this is what dreams are made of right here, buddy. Like I walk in and she and she even says something along the lines of like, wow, this place is kind of a dump. And I was like, well, (laughs) little do you know, honey, (laughs) you (laughs) you are about to get proposed to. (laughs) So I'll give you an opportunity to make it up to her, though. Okay. for, for, 
from proposing in a dump, apparently. Well, well, the, right. let me let me just say there was a back room, and that, that was where they had kind of the merchandise and the drinks and and all that. And that room was finished, and it was it it did look very good, and the the backdrop looked nice, and that that was the one place in the entire in, entire facility that I was able to create uh, what I felt at least was a magical moment. I hope she feels the exact same way. But yes, uh, uh, I I did I did create. Uh, create an atmosphere when I, but I got to admit I was a little nervous when I first when I first walked in. So continue, Travis. Whatever you want to say. All right, I'm going to give you uh, the floor here to kiss butt for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> if you could, could you break down her game for us? Give us a little scouting report. Ooh, a scouting five star prospect, or is she like a late bloomer, like three star, about to make a five star jump? Oh my goodness! Do I need to put? Do I need to put the kids to bed before we, we go into this discussion? <laughs> I no, I I will keep it PG. I I, oh, okay. I promise okay. you. Yes, uh yeah, oh yeah. Uh five star prospect, one one thousand percent. Yeah, that was a, a uh generational? Oh, generational talent, number number one in the country but uh, according to all major recruiting services. Um phenomenal, phenomenal uh you know, you you focus a lot on, on the on court ability, but but the off court is what really drew my attention to her with with you know phenomenal personality and uh you know just great great leadership abilities and and um you know major heart for the game absolutely huge heart for the game um and you know she she looks pretty darn good on the court too i, I must admit all right, so she you're essentially saying she's Imani Bates with Jennifer Aniston's personality. Imani Bates with Jennifer Aniston's personality. That is that is about as perfect as you could put it. Yes, absolutely. What a great player comparison. <laughs> uh, I would compare my wife to Dick Buckus. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. I hope not looks. Well, no, just, <laughs> just personality and um, um, intimidation factor. Oh, oh, well, that's a that's a, that's always a good thing. At least you know, at least you know your place. Great, uh, yeah. That, <laughs> well, well, she's Lawrence Taylor, and I'm Ron Jaworski. If anybody <laughs> remembers that one. Well, very good. Yeah. So it was a one heck of a weekend. I am still not coming down from my high yet. It was it was just something special, one for the books. I'm very, very, very pleased with it, and. Uh, with that, I we we can move on from this topic. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I now to the real stuff. Yes, on to the real stuff. I I appreciate you both for joining us and giving me an opportunity to shout out uh, good good old Katie. I appreciate that. Um, but before we get into all of the other fun stuff we have planned, I need to give yet another incredible shout out to our incredible friends at BBN Vegas. The Big Blue Nation takes over Las Vegas this December when Kentucky basketball hits Sin City. The action tips with the Kentucky vs. Utah game presented by UK Healthcare and benefiting coaches vs. cancer on Wednesday, December 18th at T-Mobile Arena. BBN will then have the opportunity to hit the links at the world-renowned Shadow Creek Golf Course on Friday, December 20th as part of Golf Blue benefiting coaches versus cancer. The Cats then play in the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday, December 21st against Ohio State, who is looking incredible. That is, that is going to be one phenomenal game. So 
If you're interested in this, visit BBNVegas.com or follow on social media at BBN Las Vegas for full information, game tickets, hotel accommodations on the Las Vegas Strip. You name it, they have it for you. Go check our friends out. They will help you out. Now, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week. Uh, we will start with recruiting news uh, and, and updates on that, and then we will kind of work our way into the Utah Valley game and the uh, mediocrity that came with that. Um, so the, the biggest news that kind of came from over the last week or so, you know, less than that obviously, is the fact that Kentucky received a major, major commitment from 2025 star forward Isaiah Jackson. He announced his commitment on Saturday over – Alabama and Syracuse. Uh, he held offers from, I think, 22 total offers, but um, his final three was Kentucky, Alabama, and Syracuse. Now, on Saturday Saturday morning, Travis and I were talking, and David, we were talking with you as well. Um, we, you know, words after two weeks of just complete and utter silence, we finally got some movement on Saturday morning and word leaked out. We were told that Isaiah Jackson was going to commit to, to Kentucky. So um, I had tra Travis and I were, were talking on the phone and we were like, you know what, let's just jump on the podcast equipment right now and, and break down this commitment before it even happens. So we could have the podcast up and ready to go when the, the commitment happened at two thirty PM, it ended up being two fifty five or something. Go figure a recruiting announcement was delayed, but um so so it would be ready to go when it did happen. So we jumped on there and we broke down his game and you know what it meant for the program. But David, we have not gotten to speak with you about this commitment. So David, um, Isaiah Jackson is a Kentucky Wildcat. Initial thoughts? Uh, a couple things. I talked to Wes Jackson, his dad, uh, Saturday night, and uh, Wes is. Uh, I've got to talk to him four or five times. Uh, with interviews since uh, the official visit, which was uh, the first weekend of September, last weekend in August, they intersected there. A um, couple interesting things. He told me he committed um, last Wednesday, and actually they wanted to keep it quiet until the official announcement on Saturday, but he actually signed on Wednesday, uh, which – Kind of goes with the narrative now that we've had with John Calipari, it seems like, on silent commitments, on silent signings, on silent offers. We, we've heard that word silent a lot, it seems like, mm -hmm. uh, lately. So that was one thing. Another thing that was interesting, he told me that um, they were, even though a lot of people thought this thing was wide open and they were training Alabama, we were in a lot. And I, I even said it myself. I'm not going to deny it. Um, he said it was, it was purely Kentucky until they took the Alabama visit. And he said the Alabama visit made it hard because uh, he said he did not realize that they had made a commitment to facilities and things of that nature there like they had. And he said, you know, Kentucky's was great, but he said so was Syracuse and Alabama's. Uh, and what it basically came down to was a tough decision between Alabama and Kentucky. But in his word was basically what uh, the Kentucky brand and what they have to offer. He talked about, you know, the facilities they have. He made a big deal about, you know, training table, about uh, – 
just basically what they can do with the strength and conditioning coaches, uh, Calipari's track record, putting players in the NBA. But what he talked about, too, uh, just – and that was security at Kentucky. Uh, he said, you know, they let the players interact, but, you know, there's a strong presence of being able at Kentucky to, to wear – just anybody out on the street can't get up to them. You know, they're kind of protected. And that was something I felt like with the, the son being out on the road that the dad was very concerned about. And that sounded to me like something that really pushed it for Kentucky over the top. So I, I thought that was uh, really, really interesting and uh, uh, might have been a big difference maker. Uh, as far as his play goes, I talked to Eric Bossy about it Saturday afternoon. I didn't get to watch Isaiah the way I wanted to because um, he Kentucky was not talking to him uh, at the time I got to see him last spring. He, uh, I asked Eric, I said, from, the, from everything I hear, I said, is he a bigger version of Keon Brooks? And he said, no, it's totally different. He said, he is a – he said, just uncanny timing – He's just a 6'9", freakish leaper who's just an incredible shot blocker, can really jump. Uh, and he said he's not really uh, – we really don't know how good a touch that he has. Uh, he said that's really going to be seen, especially when a Kentucky coach is working with him because he's not really had access to, to have really have his shot developed. But he said his, his shooting touch is much better than people think. And he said totally different player than Keon Brooks, just kind of like a 6'9 pogo stick who, who really has timing to protect the rim block shots. Yeah, the, the, all great points. And we, we mentioned on both – the initial Isaiah Jackson commits to Kentucky podcast that, that Travis and I did and over the last several weeks that it was just a really odd um, Alabama sold or at least tried selling Isaiah on being the, the focal point of the team and, and being the main option moving forward, kind of building their, their recruiting class around him. And I know it's different for a school like Alabama because when you do land a, you know, if, if he had gone to Alabama, that would have been their premier player. I mean, you for a school like Alabama, you do build a, a your roster around a top 25 kid, but his style of play and, and – and him as a uh, high-energy guy and, and how much he thrives as a rim runner and, and on the defensive end, he's you know just such, such a defensive anchor down low. It was just such an, such an odd pitch to me knowing that he's really not that type of player. In, in the NBA, he's never going to be a focal point top option type guy where you build your entire NBA franchise around him. He's going to be the kind of guy that's going to be a massive role player and, and need to, you know, obviously Kentucky's going to, you know, not pigeonhole him as, as a, you know, if he thrives as a, a dominant low post presence, they're not going to just keep him as just, just a role player, nothing more. But you'd, you'd think that you, you'd just think it, it was a bad idea um if he had gone to Alabama, to, I think it would have hurt his long-term stock more than anything building a team around him. Is, is that kind of the general thought process that you have, David, that that he is going to thrive more in Calipari's system as a rim runner and lob catcher and you know a defensive specialist more than the focal point of a team like Alabama was trying to sell him as? Yes, I think you got to be careful uh, when you're talking about building – 
a team around a player, and especially as a freshman whose skill level is not fully developed yet, I think you're putting them in a role. And from everything I've watched on Isaiah Jackson, everything I hear, I just don't know offensively that he's a guy that you build a team around because, you know, he, he's got a lot, like you said, he's got work to do in his skill level. He's got a lot more potential. He's already got, I think, farther along than what a lot of people think. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you put a player in a role that they're not really cut out for at that time and they may not succeed at, it, it really gives them a bad look that, that maybe they don't deserve. I think we're kind of seeing it now with Tyrese Maxey, who is a scorer, when you come out in the first game and you have such an outing like you did against Michigan State and you're an overnight sensation as this great offensive player, and now you're a freshman and all of a sudden guys get hurt and other guys are struggling. You kind of feel like that's on your shoulders and you really don't know what a good shot is. You don't know what a bad shot is. You don't know how yet how to play within the confines of the offense. You don't even know what the confines of the offense are yet because you're three games in your college career. You can even see him kind of comfortable, uncomfortable with it, rather. And and he is a guy that can score. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, I know you came on with me on Saturday and we broke it down, uh, you know, way, way in depth. But for the people that weren't able to get around to listening to that one or, you know, the, obviously the U.K. game was that, that – that afternoon, so um, understandably busy. For the people that didn't get your original take on Isaiah Jackson, his commitment, uh, let me get your initial thoughts. What what are you, what are, what do you think about this commitment for Kentucky? I think he's got a very high ceiling. I talked to people in a couple of AAU circles that have played against him, so that they think he has the second highest ceiling of all the bigs in this class behind uh, Evan Mobley and. I think it's a fantastic fit, like you all were saying. Uh, at Kentucky, they're not going to make him into something he's not. He's going to be able to carve out his role and just grow at his own pace. I don't think he's going to be called upon to do too much here. And I think he's – I, I mean, I've been way off on these before. You never would, I never would have thought Tyler Hero was a one-year player or uh, Shea Gildas-Alexander was a one-year player. But I see Isaiah Jackson as a two-year player. He's – Kentucky's best shot blocker that they've signed the past two, three, maybe four classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just he just needs a college weight room, which he's going to gain. He's going to be playing at two fifteen probably. Uh, probably be playing six nine two fifteen uh, his first game at Kentucky. And I mean, you could that's definitely a playable weight. And he's super bouncy, quick second jump, uh, getting better around the rim. Now he just needs to develop touch out to fifteen to twenty feet. Yeah, you bring you bring up a really good point with his weight. I mean, he, we had his coach on last week and said that he he's been living in the weight room this summer. Said that he's just been one hundred percent trying to add muscle to his game, not necessarily become you, you know this this big. His game is never going to you know be highlighted by his brute strength down low. You know what he brings to the table and and what and his skill set, but. 
him adding muscle, I mean, I think he said he's upwards of 210 now, 210 pounds, um, and said that he doesn't he doesn't look any different, but it's a lot of that core strength and, and, and just his natural, um, you know, natural mass is helping him bang around a little bit down low. But, yeah, I mean, a whole – a whole one more year in in the high school system and working with their weights and, and trying to put more weight on and then a whole summer next summer um, at, at, in Lexington and, and using their weights and, and being able to be with that training staff man it's gonna do it's gonna be just an awesome well, awesome development for him. Well, hell, if he uh, I forgot this coach said he was uh, two ten. I was going off I was going off of the one ninety still. Hell, he could be a uh, he. he Probably start off about the size EJ Montgomery did last year, probably about 220. Because mm-hmm. I think his frame isn't big enough to be super bulky, and he don't he won't want to put on too much weight because he's more of a he's going to be more used for speed and athleticism anyway down low. So I think six nine 220. I mean, two fifteen two twenty range is going to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. That's that is a, a perfect playing weight for his skill set and what he brings to the table. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. This is a a massive, massive get for Kentucky, especially given the just the what seemed to be just the worst luck imaginable whenever it comes to just front court options. For whatever reason, it, it's just so it's just so fascinating to me how Kentucky can get guys like. Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Carl Towns, Bam Adebayo. You just go down the list and and it, it it just seems like every single elite big man that comes into Kentucky, or even if they're not even, you know, Carl Towns was he was a five star, but he was a top ten kid, and he was the number one number one draft pick by the time he left campus. Willie Cauley Stein was a four star kid, stayed three years, and and ended up being the number six pick in the draft. Um, like the development has been evident under. Uh, under Kenny Payne, like, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding there, but it just seems like over the last five years or, or last three years or so, nobody has wanted to come and, and fill that role. I mean, like this, this year specifically, you had guys like Nafali Dante and, and Carrie Blackshear and, and Jaden McDaniels. There was a perfect, perfect role. Look at what just happened. I mean, I, I know we're going to get into the game um, later in the show, but look what just happened against Utah Valley, like depth is so so thin in the front court, and it, it just seemed like even given the success that Kentucky's had in the past, nobody wanted to take up that take them up on that offer. It was just it's just mind boggling to me how how things have kind of unfolded. But to get him signed, sealed, and delivered um, in the early signing period, get him with Lance Ware, who everybody around him is just swearing by him, says that he is he is going to be a massive, massive get. I mean, he's he's in the top 30, top 35, top 40 range right now. But um, people around him think that he's going to make a massive jump over when, when people realize that He's going to be the leader of the Camden, you know, the Camden offense. I mean, he's he thrives on both ends of the floor. He's going to be a major leader on that team this year, and going to have a ton of production. He they think he's going to have a massive jump. So to get two guys like that who have kind of you know floated in that twenty to forty range, who could all who can make significant jumps, get them signed up this early is just significant, and, and it kind of allows Calipari and his staff to be a little bit nitpicky in, in who they choose moving forward. They're going to obviously go in on guys like Greg Brown. They're going to go in on Paolo Banchero and, and try to get him to reclassify no matter what he says. They're going to at least try. Um, I mean, I still think to at, 
at this moment he's going to stay in 2021, but you never know. They're at least going to make that push. You have guys like Cliff Omarui, who David said last week would be the perfect addition um, as a true five. I mean, he is a he's athletic and and high motor and all that, but he does. I mean, he does have some some good strength and and uh, good core core muscle down down low. So that'd be a good bit, uh, a good get as well. So the options are out there. They'd look at the grad transfer market. They'll look at the normal transfer market and see if they can get somebody, um, you know, somebody on on that end. But the options are out there. They're going to be able to focus in a little bit more and um, make make their it's going to just make life easier for them in the spring in the spring because um, they will need it. Now, outside of Isaiah Jackson and um, just you know that was kind of the major news this weekend. But right before he made that decision was the fact that Kentucky commit Devin Askew abruptly announced his reclassification to the class of 2020, signed his letter of intent, and, uh, you know, he's signed, sealed, delivered. He's ready to go for next year. I jumped on and did a, a quick bro- uh, episode breaking down that by myself, um, but you guys haven't been – you guys haven't had the opportunity to uh, get an update on that. So, Travis, let's let's start with you. Devin Askew is a wildcat next year. What are your initial thoughts on him? I think he is – the perfect player for what Kentucky's building next year. Uh, next year's class has a lot more skill, uh, skill and talent compared to athletic talent that has been seen in like this current class uh, and a couple classes prior. You got guys like Khalil Whitney. They're more athletes trying to play basketball. Next year's class is more basketball players and well-rounded players. But I think – Devin Askew is going to be a breath of fresh air because, I mean, you've seen Isaiah Briscoe, you've seen Ashton Higgins, a couple of point guards that cannot shoot the ball, and Devin Askew shoots the ball at a very high level. He's got a killer, he calls it his Kobe Mamba mentality, where he's one of the hardest workers in the room, if not the hardest, everywhere he goes, and is just a natural leader, and I think Kentucky fans are going to love him from the jump. Absolutely. David, the timing of it. Tell me how significant and and massive it is that Kentucky out of the blue just a, a guy that everybody assumed and and they were kind of penciling him into this class for the spring but it's one thing to pencil somebody in and then there's another thing to pen somebody in to have that written in stone he is 100,000% going to be at Kentucky next year, you know, even if it was 98% likely that he was going to end up at, at, in Lexington next year, you never know. What if the, you know, the academic situ- situation didn't work out or, you know, he ended up falling in love with the idea of wanting to be, um, you know, go to Peach Jam again, whatever, you know, you, these are 17, 18 year old kids that we're dealing with. They can change their mind um, out of the blue. So just your initial thoughts on getting him locked up now, as opposed to the spring. Well, it takes pressure off because, you know, um, we, we looked at this class and it wasn't top-heavy on uh, point guards and it wasn't top-heavy on post. It was more of a uh, two through four, shooting guard, small forward, power forward uh, type class. That's where it was strong at. So there just weren't – after two or three guys got off the board, there just weren't a whole lot out there that you were looking for. And to have him come along, uh, that was huge uh, because obviously they needed a point guard. You always do. Um, so, you know, that was significant. Uh, 
um, looking at intangibles, um, you hear different thoughts, and I know Travis has touched on this, you know, different people that you talk to that watch him a lot kind of, you know, don't feel the same about him. So I've talked to two national analysts and they, they have different views on, on how they think he'll be. Um, and also the factor of coming in as, as a reclass, a guy supposed to be a high school senior. Uh, you know, you look at some of the guys now who are supposed to be uh, seniors in high school and Johnny Juzang is, is one that comes to mind and, uh, you know, trying to make that college fit. You're a year younger. So I hopefully it's something that can work out. It's not going to be the easiest to transition, I don't think, but Travis made a good point in that there's a lot of talent around him, so you're not coming in asking a guy to be the man. He's not going to have the pressure on him uh, next year that you might be asking a Tyrese Maxey as a freshman to do this year or a Nashton Hagens right now as a point guard. He can just kind of set the table and let some of these other guys work. You nailed it. Yeah, I think, I think he just – I think he comes in next year and just runs the show, doesn't have to do anything too flashy, scores when he needs to, passes when he needs to, just makes winning plays. I think he's going to be a phenomenal uh, college player, a two-, three-year college player. I don't see him being a one-and-done either, but like I said earlier, I've seen bigger surprises. But I just don't think – I think he's more of a – he's got higher ceiling than Cassius Winston, but he just strikes me as a uh, multi-year player that is constantly giving – he fits at places like Kansas, uh, Michigan State. Great, phenomenal college player, but might not necessarily transition to the NBA level. Yeah, I, you guys both you, you guys both hit it right on the head. That's that that's kind of my optimism surrounding him. I, I've gone on this this podcast and I've one hundred percent been a sunshine pumper on on the Devin Askew hype train. Like I am all in on Devin Askew, and it has nothing to do with his overall star ability you know like I the the rumblings that David was talking about are they're on the west coast and people think you know that he got the modern day jump or the the, the ratings jump because he is playing for a premier program f- under a legendary head coach and you know in that that high talent level area because he's the leader of that team and and you know just kind of fit that mold that he's getting that that bump and and people People think that he is not the best point guard in the nation from a talent perspective, and that might be true. That that I I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that, but in terms of the the pure college point guard, and and you look at the the past several national champions, and you know the Villanovas of the world, and 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 schools like that, they have that gritty, tough pit bull mentality point guard that can shoot the ball. I mean that 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 type of player has been so, so, so successful at the college level over the last several years and, and have been the 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 leader of the offense um, on several national championship-level teams, and that's where my optimism comes in. I don't think that he will ever be a, you know, 25-point-per-game, you know, 20-point-per-game scorer at the college level, um, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily decide who is a successful and, and, you know, even as far as to say an elite college point guard. I think it's a lot of, uh, of the extra stuff that comes with being the point guard of a, a premier school like the University of Kentucky. I think the way John Calipari sets up his roster, 
if you're depending on your point guard to get 25 points in Kentucky, you're in trouble because that means that these other guys haven't panned out to the way uh, their rankings are or either either that or they have and the chemistry's horrible. Um, you know, I think we're seeing some of that right now with uh, guys who are, are not ready to score yet offensively. You've got injuries and they de- depended so much, you know, like last night, Ashton Hagen's had what was it? 26, I think it was 26. Uh, yep. So, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you're dependent on Ashton Hagen's to score 26 points to, to uh, get a win. You know, that's probably not what John Calipari had in mind, uh, you know, when he recruited him. So, uh, you know, it, that's not a knock. So when we say all this, that's no knock on Devin Askew at all. You know, if everybody plays up to their press clippings when they come in, you know, he's going to be just fine. But, you know, the other guys got to help. Yeah, I mean, you compare the situation to what we're just talking about with Isaiah Jackson. I mean, look at what Louisville was selling Askew as you know being the premier guy in their offense, and and that, I mean, it's the same exact scenario. I think for what Askew is, and and I, I think it's it, it would almost be worse off for a guy like Askew to be forced to run the show and try to lead a team to um, a national championship as the only. And, and primary option on on a team like Louisville or, or you know some of his other options that he on his he had on his list. Just like I think it would have been a disservice to Isaiah Jackson to be the main focal point of the Alabama. You know what what they're what they're, Nate Nate Oates is doing down there. I think for what Devin Askew does, he he will be put on a national platform with a a school like the University of Kentucky where he all of his strengths will be highlighted and the additions of Terrence Clark and BJ Boss and some of those other guys they're going to kind of help take away some of the weaknesses that he has the he he's he's going to be put on a, a massive massive platform and, and kind of be shown um, you know, on the nas- national stage, but he has help, massive help, to where it's not going to be like what you guys just said. He's not going to be asked to be the leading scorer and 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 be the primary option for you know for his his entire time in Lexington. That's why I think it's such a big a big gift for him is because he's just the perfect complementary piece to the stars of the show, Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston. Let's make no mistake about it. The class is built around those two, not Devin Askew or Isaiah Jackson or Lance Ware or Cam Cameron Fletcher. Since we're already on the topic, uh, let's just um, you know go down the list. And you know that with Devin Askew's letter of intent and Isaiah Jackson's letter of intent, that gives Kentucky five signatures for the official class of 2020. But there's one name that is still missing from that, and that is B.J. Boston. Their you know, fans are kind of starting to get a little restless. You know, when he didn't officially sign on Wednesday last week, no, no problem. Thursday, no problem. Friday, no problem. Saturday is when people started going, okay, well, there's something a little strange with this. Why is B.J. Why is he still not signed? Um, David, you came on the podcast last week and said that. Um, Chris and Peak talked to his dad and said that the the plane was to sign last week, and that came and went, and it didn't happen. So, uh, David, let's start with you. What do you know about BJ Boston, and is he going to be a member of the the early signing period, the early signing class for Kentucky? 
Well, um, I haven't talked. Kristen's in Australia right now, so I haven't um, talked to her about uh, anything that she's hearing. You know, like I said, that came straight face-to-face. That wasn't through a phone call or a text. You know, they were both in the gym uh, at Sierra Canyon for a practice when she asked him that. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of us are hearing that that's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, not anything that I'm particularly worried about. I go back a year, and you remember when Khalil Whitney did, uh, put mm-hmm. his off, man, and there were all kind of stories going on about what was going to happen. And obviously he, he was safely in the fold and, and ended up telling his story that he wanted to go back to, you know, Chicago and, and do that. And he had to wait till he could get back. So, you know, there's still time in the early signing period. I haven't heard any rumblings at all from national guys about any change of heart, any possible switch. So, um, you know, if he is, I, I know you, you want to get this thing done and people get antsy, but, you know, if it's something that he is thinking about, it, it's the best kept secret in the history of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, are, are you hearing along those same lines? I've, I've heard from people I've talked to is that Kentucky has nothing to worry about from – uh, things that they've heard. So I think I think he will sign tomorrow. And if he doesn't sign tomorrow, then it's still nothing really to worry about. I haven't heard anything about a possible flip or uh, overseas or anything like that. Like some people are worried about, I think he ends up in Kentucky just no matter when they get this uh, pen to paper. Yeah, that is that I I had a message out to his dad. I haven't gotten a response back yet, even still, which was a little, you know, it when he's when when you're a main point of contact, you know, is something as simple as hey, is he plan, still planning on signing, you know, this week? Not getting a response back to that is is you know, there's there's a little bit of of concern there, but nothing. It wasn't anything that really, you know, made me lose any sleep about. It. I mean, that it, it, I never once thought that it was a legitimate possibility that there could be, you know, something as significant as a decommitment or a flip or going overseas or something like that. Um, so I understood. I understood where the the concern was coming from from the Kentucky uh, fan side of things, where they're like, okay, it's starting to get a little bit odd. Why are we not hearing anything? Um, you know, you. I think even after the Khalil Whitney thing, he was saying, "Just wait, just wait. I'm, I'm, I have, I have a plan. I'm doing it." You know, he had that plan, and, and even still, fans were kind of worrying. And that that's when it was like, "Okay, just give give the kid some space." But the silence is what is kind of making uh, Kentucky fans a little bit restless with this. But yes, today I talked to somebody close to BJ Boston um, that said, "Yes, 100. percent He's there's no there's nothing to worry about um, in terms of his his." his commitment itself to Kentucky um, that it's just a logistics thing that they're trying to figure out when to and how to get it in and um, I've heard I've also heard Wednesday tomorrow is is I, I is does the signing period end at like 5 p.m. tomorrow I, I haven't heard this the exact end time but um, I know I know it's tomorrow and the goal at this point is to get it in tomorrow so um, you wouldn't believe I, the stories that I've heard since I've been doing this. I've been with rivals since 2014, and some of the stories that I've heard, uh, not by word of mouth from other people, but guys that I've covered who were supposed to 
commit on certain days um, and, and couldn't get it done because um, possibly a conflict where they couldn't be with their parents, maybe for a ceremony, and they put it back. Uh, there were others that – there was one this year uh, who signed with a, a, a Big 12 school who um, was going to – make it official on his commitment on a certain day and he put it off two weeks because the guy who was doing his video came down with a flu and he wasn't going and these guys are not going to do it without videos now yeah so you know there's always things like that but remember too for whatever reason uh there's we talked earlier about uh um silent commitment silent signings he may, it's, you never know. It may be something that's already signed and he's just waiting to do some kind of public, mm-hmm. you know, ceremony, but they've already got the paper. There's a, a ton of that goes around where, especially during the early signing period, uh, where guys, they may not even announce till later in November, but the uh, schools already actually had their national letter of intent, you know, already filed away. Yeah, that that could very well be with a school like Sierra Canyon and the massive, massive publicity that they're getting and all that. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they wanted to, you know, make it a, a public spectacle or something, something along those lines because of of who who is on that roster and the people that are following that team closely and all that. They might want to um, they might want to use it as a. Uh, yet another publicity boost for them as their as their season's about to get started. I mean, you saw they're getting they're getting fifteen na- uh, nationally televised games, and, and I know some of them some of those games are going to be on on line and you know ESPN and three and all that. But ESPN is covering fifteen Sierra Canyon games. It's a, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd how much coverage this team is going to get this year. So on that note, it would it. It would be. It wouldn't even be a shock at all if they decided to to use that media and that hype to hype their kid up and and show off that wow yes our prestigious player is going to go to a prestigious school like the University of Kentucky it wouldn't shock me at all. So yes, if you're a Kentucky fan worrying about that commitment and and whether or not he's going to sign on the dotted line during this during the fall, I would not worry about that. Um, I I think that they. I think tomorrow is the kind of tentative goal. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it all unfolds. But I, in in terms of his his loyalty to the program and him him staying at, at Kentucky, I, that is not a concern in the slightest for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, shoot, w- when that day does come, we're talking about six signatures in the early signing period for the University of Kentucky. Hasn't been done ever under Calipari. It's just absolutely absurd. Uh, we talked. I believe Travis and I talked. Um, that this was that the last time or the most early signatures that they that Calipari has gotten at Kentucky was the 2011 team with um, with Anthony Davis and and Marcus Teague and Michael Kidd Gilchrist and, and Kyle Wilcher. So that in itself is just is just incredible that that he was able to get all these signatures and, and people committed um, as early as he did. That there's just absurd. Um, massive, massive recruiting class. There's a, they're number one for a reason. A lot of talent from top to bottom. Really, really good group of kids. Um, David, I want 
to give I, I want to give you the floor for something that you worked on with uh, a a little a little feature on um, on this class and how talented they are. Yeah, I actually put it out today. Uh, I normally, since I did a story on a game last night, I don't normally put out two stories just quickly behind each other. I used to like usually like to give it a little bit of time, but I wanted to get it out before we came on the podcast tonight, uh, especially since we decided to do it on Tuesday. Um, and what it was, I went and uh, just – you know, we ask all the time, we talk about it on here. Well, how good is this class? How good uh, do you think it's going to be? How good will they be next year? And, you know, sometimes we speak, and well, I believe this, I believe that. We do it in generalities. Um, and a lot of time it's the eye test. So I said, let's put some, I want to just maybe crunch some numbers and uh, research just a little bit. So what I did, I took rivals rankings. Okay. Player rankings. They ranked the top 150. And first of all, what I did, I ranked, I showed every player's ranking in the John Calipari era that he's brought to Kentucky, where they were ranked by rivals. So I've got a list of that. But what I did, I went through with each class and I gave them a point total, the class, and the way I did it, uh, I took. For example, with this class, um, if a player is ranked number one in the country, he got 150 points. Okay. If the player is ranked number 150, he gets one point. And then everywhere in between, if a player is not ranked, they don't get anything. So, so for example, in 2020, Terrence Clark's ranked fourth by rivals. He got 146 points. B.J. Boston's ranked 17th. He gets 133 Devin Askew is 22nd. He gets 128. Isaiah Jackson's 24th. He gets 126. Lance Ware's 33rd. He gets 117. Cameron Fletcher's 41st. He gets 109. Okay. That totals up to 800 points. Okay. Now, when I compare that with the classes uh, historically that John Calipari has brought in, that was third out of 12. The Very 2013 class with Julius Randle, Andrew Harrison, Aaron Harrison, Dakari Johnson, James Young, Marcus Lee, Derek Willis, and Dominic Hawkins were number one with 882 points. Kevin Knox in 2017, Kevin Knox, Jared Vanderbilt, P.J. Washington, Nick Richards, Quade Green, Shai Gilgis, Alexander, Jamal Baker was second with 856 this class was third with 800 and easily third. The 2016 group had 691 points. So they were clearly third. So as it stands right now, uh, if they don't add another player, n- numerically, this is the second best class to John of total points that John Calipari's brought in. If they got somebody in the spring coming up, let's say uh, uh, whoever – uh, the center that you were talking about, Cliff O'Marui, on an absolute blank from New Jersey. Cliff, um, the one you said would be a perfect fit. I've drawn an absolute Cliff blank. O'Marui. Yeah, Cliff O'Marui. Yeah, yeah. If he brought in Cliff, for example, that would put them second point total. But one thing I did, I got to looking at it, and I said, no, the numbers are kind of skewed because if you took 
the class, let's say with Carl Anthony Towns, they were tied for last, but that was a great class. Right. Carl Anthony Towns, Trey Lyles, Tyler Ulyss, and Devin Booker. They only had four players. So if you bring in a class of six or seven, it's obviously going to get more points than one or four. So I said, let's do the average. Uh, and this class is actually tied for third with the 2014 class. The average player in this class is ranked number 17. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the third highest class ever. 2011 was number eight. 2012 was number 14. This class is tied with a 2014 class. So, And it's actually the highest ranked class that he's had since 2014. So whether you take it by quality, you take it by quantity, right now this class out of the 12 that John Kelly Perry's brought in is ranked number three. So, and, and I understand you want different positions. It can't be guard heavy. You've got to have post. I understand everything that goes with it, but it just looks to me if you want to crunch the numbers and put some backbone to it, that this class matches up with just about anyone that he's ever brought in. It looks like it's a lot better than, than, than many that have come to Kentucky in the John Calipari here. Yeah. And if you think about it, one more addition from a Cliff, Cliff Omarui, um, if by the sounds of it, that his commitment would push Kentucky to the top in the quantity rating. Yeah, well, would be, yes. Uh, they only need 82 points to go over the top. So that, he's a top 100 player. Yep, yes, that'll so it do it. would push them to the top. If they got him to the top class for high school signees that they, they've ever had so so one commitment from him who is a i mean he's a top 50 kid no i mean yes he's he's a a four-star kid a a high level talent but you know he's not a, a top 10 top top 20 level talent that just kind of shows how close and just how top just from top to bottom how talented this group already is that a guy like cliff who i mean he's no chopped liver he's 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 a top 50 kid for a reason. But... He's number 55. Okay. So that would be 145 points. So that would push them. If they got him uh, at 55, excuse me, that would be 95 points. Yeah. That would move them to 895, which would be 13 points over the 2013 group, which is the highest. Wow. And in terms of quality, it would need a guy like – Jonathan Kaminga to reclassify, Paolo to reclassify, or even just a Greg Brown would probably seal the deal if I had to guess, just in terms of, of needing to be, I, I guess, just in terms of the top. It would be hard to move them up to the top. But that top average ranking was number eight. That 2011 group, by the way, was Anthony Davis. Michael was second. Michael Kidd Gilchrist was ranked third. Uh, Marquise Teague was ranked fifth. And Kyle Wilcher was uh, Wilcher was ranked twenty second. Right. So it would be hard to pass that group just as far as average ranking. But you know they would have a if you got somebody like that, it might it might push them into second. I think it would be close. Yeah, definitely, it, definitely a Jonathan Kamingo would probably do it. A number one, a top three. But I don't know how much a Greg Brown, an eight or a nine. Yeah, that probably wouldn't push UK over the top. But. Either way, it doesn't matter. It just it just goes to show that we are only in the early signing period, and no matter how this thing ends, Calipari has already solidified a a top three class in in 
his entire tenure at Kentucky. That in itself is is something just absolutely bonkers when you think about just the the time and and how much he's worked um, to to seal the deal with all these kids and and I mean it just it just goes to show that he's he is recruiting on a whole new level. Yes, he missed out on Cade Cunningham. Yes, he's um gotten some backlash for for missing out on on guys over the last several years, but he's he's he has earned a ton of respect nationally both and you know earned back a lot of respect from Kentucky fans, but definitely earned a lot of national respect for how he is he is um Put this or this early signing period on on notice. I mean that is it's really really impressive. Um, well, with that, I think we can go straight into the Kentucky Utah Valley game. Um, Kentucky squeaks out yet another victory. I mean it was just a, a just absolute slugfest from start to finish. Uh, UK was able to extend their lead to 16 in the second half. Um, ended up getting cut back down to one. Um, in in the game's final minutes, then uh, you know a few a few tough buckets down low, and and one from Nate Zestina, uh, I believe six free throws by by Ashen Hagens. Um, several other key key moments down the stretch allowed UK to to squeeze out the victory and 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 move to three and one on the year. But nobody will say that this game was a pretty one, especially on on the heels of what happened against Evansville. So, uh, Travis. What are your initial reactions from from the Utah Valley game, and where does Kentucky go from here? Initial reactions, I'm going to start off positive on this one. Um, Nick Richards has played good in three out of four games so far this season, and everybody in the Evansville game played poorly, so um, can't really hold that game against them either. But 21-10, he's had two 20-point double-doubles Yep. so, so far this year. Uh, zero turnovers for him the thing is and ashton Hagen's added 26 5 and 5 uh with six turnovers and a steal and a block and richards was eight for 11 from the field and Hagen's was seven to 14 from the field Hagen's was getting to the line at will kentucky shot 31 to 34 i believe it was from free throw line mm-hmm. but i want to know where the disconnect is between the free throw line and taking a few steps back to that three-point line because oh. uk was one of 12 and um, one of 12 from three in this game and continues to be one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country whenever a bunch of people are talking about that this could possibly possibly be Cal's best shooting team. There just seems to be no flow on the offensive end of the court. Uh, guys like Johnny Juzang, Khalil Whitney, uh, Keon Brooks looks more comfortable out there each game. I, I really like his upside. Uh, I'm really high on uh, Khalil, I mean on uh, Keon, but – Guys like Whitney, Jizang, even Maxie at some points, they seem scared to take shots. Yeah. And they seem like they're just aiming them and hoping that they'll go in, that they're not really even shooting with confidence. And that's something that Kentucky's going to have to address moving forward. They did much better on the rebounding side of things last night, but they only got three more offensive boards than Utah Valley. Uh, I think Kentucky had nine, or Kentucky had 12 and they had nine. Mm-hmm. And it never fails that somebody gets super hot. Ever up. Uh, last night happened to be TJ Washington hit like three straight threes at one point, cut the game down to one or two possessions. Yep. But another thing, last thing I'll add about last night was the scholarship uh, situation just mind-boggling to me. How you put yourself <laughs> in the in the situation to have seven, and then Khalil Whitney looked to get uh, to be injured there at the end. Uh, Nick Richards came up lame, looked like he turned an ankle at one point. 
you're flirting with disaster if a couple of dudes go down. And you can't play defense the way you want to because you risk fouling. And then if you're in foul trouble with seven scholarship guys, I mean, I know it's Utah Valley, but still. Yeah, Riley Welch is going to get some playing time here in a minute. <laughs> Bringing Lynn Bowden at this point. I, you know what? I, at this point, I'm I'm just for it. David, uh, your your initial thoughts. I want to touch on that last part. I think that's comes down to the way John Calipari recruits a little bit. Um, and I think it's just so different now than the way you, the game used to be. If you took back the Joe B. Hall days or, you know, even on up, uh, well, Tubby Smith on up in that era, uh, when guys are staying three and four years, you know, you build your roster, you build depth, you're bringing in three or four players every year. Um, but, I mean, you could imagine – Number one, if if you've got a lot of one and duns, um, you're bringing in to have a full roster. You may be bringing in nine or ten guys a year, mm-hmm. and I think if you do that, then you've got to reach for uh, guys that may not necessarily be up to Kentucky standards. Just may not be Kentucky type of guys, um, and and probably taking some guys that you don't want. I, I think that's just part of the one and done scenario. And and then also if you've got a full roster, what do you do the next year? Uh, let's say you're recruiting one and done and you've got 13 guys on the roster and well, how many might stay? And I, I think it probably is a fear among recruits. Will you have a spot for me? So I really think that that's something John Calipari doesn't want to have to deal with is that players worried or, or other words, Sky stay now all of a sudden he's got more players than he's got roster spots. Uh, Rick Barnes ran into a little bit of that at Tennessee, uh, you know, trying to bring in some guys. And there's talk to still some other guys that he might try to get during early signing period. And they've got more players and they've got roster spots right now and they don't have any room left. Uh, mm-hmm. Penny Hardaway's already run into that some. So I just think that's something he doesn't want to deal with. Uh now, getting back to the game, I thought they rebounded better. Um, I thought uh, defensively, I'm, I'm still worried. I I, I, I kind of think uh, that uh, Astor Hagen's really gutted it out last night because mm-hmm. I've never seen him look that weak defensively. I mean, the guards just blowing by uh, uh, T.J. Washington. Uh, was just blowing by him. And, you know, I, I've not uh, – obviously, Ashton's not dominated everybody that he's played, but I've never seen guys go by him that easily. And I think I tweeted out last night, man, I, I'm just – something's not right here. Um, and that's one thing. They're just giving up penetration so easily when you spread the floor on them. Evansville did the same thing. And I'll tell you what, mid-major guys can shoot. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot – you go and watch high school players and you'll see high school kids that are going to get low major and Division two offers and Division three and NAIA and they're shooters. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's an issue. Um, and they're giving up penetration and you're drawing to help or getting a kick. That's one thing that bothers me. Uh, and it happened again last night. I don't feel better about them defensively yet. Uh, offensively – when 
I got a text. I, I, I worked the lane, barely got home in time for the game to start. And I know you guys, all three of us were texting each other. And you said, well, quickly, he's out tonight. If I was a gambler, I would have gone and taken every cent I've got and marched down to my local bookie and took Utah State 25 and a half. Absolutely. And that's not hindsight because uh, when you text me that, I'm like, man, they might get beat again tonight. Utah Valley beat UAB. Uh, yeah. And – you know, you're just you're starting to get down players, and man, you just can't keep having guys drop like flies. And then you've got one playing on a bad wheel, and you know you've got guys out there who aren't hurt who are playing, but they're not they're not scores yet. They're trying to find their way into the college game. I'm going to feel better about things once I get everybody back. I just want to see a full roster. Then I think John Calipari can kind of decide how he wants to go with his offense, but. Man, he can't take uh, really an offense and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to adjust it. We're going to do this. Uh, when you turn around and look and you've got more players sitting over the bench street closed and you have stressed out. Uh, so I just think they've got to wait to get everybody healthy and then make some decisions. And it may be some rough slating for a while, but let's let every. I don't think EJ Montgomery's far away. Hopefully, quickly, he's not going to be over there long, and and I don't know, maybe by Friday or maybe by next week. Now you're can go, now you can go nine deep and, and 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 let these guys kind of blend a little bit, and and then by the middle of December, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, you start to see some offensive changes. Uh, I don't think they can run the sets now that they ran like they did last year. What they're doing now, I don't think they can do it. But I just don't feel like you can put in a lot of changes with when you've got as many people down as they do. Yeah, I don't think that Kentucky's offense is set up for success for outside shooters this year, regardless of their mental state whenever they go shoot the basketball. I think that the spacing is an issue because the bigs aren't a threat down low, so they're not sucking in the defense. And, like, the inside-out actions and the pick-and-rolls just aren't as crisp this year because UK just doesn't have the horses that they normally do. And players are having to play uh, longer amounts of minutes at a time with injuries. So I think I've always been saying uh, since the summer, since I saw the final team makeup, that Kentucky's best bet this season would, would be to play four out, five out basketball. And I think that they need to get Nathan Cena in pick and roll situations more often than he has been. Yeah. Yeah. That's... You, you know, we, we talked about the threes, you know, so we, obviously we were basing it, I think, around quickly around Sestina, around Maxi, and around Juzang. So you knew they already had issues shooting the ball, and then quickly goes down, and, and I'm just like, man, that's a huge – I can think of a couple guys I'd rather be out than quickly because yeah. I think he kind of gives you uh, that shooting presence but also does some other things. And – so then, Juzang obviously is is not got to ropes college basketball yet. Uh, Maxi, I don't think I've, I've I've had some disagreements like on our message boards because I've said I don't really call Maxi a pure three point shooter because his release is low. I think he's got to be wide open, and I think he's going to be. You saw it against Michigan State; he got hot. I, I think he's going to be like a streaky shooter. And I think when your form's off a lot of times, your form's not right. It's not perfect. Streaky's the best you can kind of hope for. It's kind of a push. 
he's not going to get that shot off over people. It's not going to drive and pull up and shoot a three over because that release is low. And it kind of leaves Sestina. And Sestina is, um, that's where we talk about the injuries. They've played him a lot in the post the last two games. And he's not played out on the perimeter. You look, he's been running around in a lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think with, Hopefully, when EJ Montgomery gets back, maybe they can put Sestina out there a little bit. One thing I saw early when they played the exhibition games, you know, he was setting a lot of flat ball screens up top. We haven't seen that yet. Um, so where he's just screen setting a flat ball screen up top and he pops. We yeah, I I don't remember seeing that any. So uh, hopefully. That's something when everybody gets here that they can get to because I don't think with well, the way everything's going that uh, I think John Calipari would admit the way we're having to play right now is not a situation that's best to put him in, in an area of, of his strength. Yeah. It's... He said last night in the press conference that he wants his team shooting anywhere from 18 to 21 threes per game, which – I think his average in Kentucky, I think somebody on our message board looked it up as like 16, 16 and a half, something like that. And I just don't feel confident with this team shooting 23s at this time until they build some confidence because they're getting to the line at a very high rate. Every time they shoot a three now, I mean, I hit for the bathroom. So <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, you don't want them doing that. Yeah, you look at the you look at the numbers, and and um, you guys both brought up really good points, and and it's very tough to be overly pessimistic, either overly pessimistic or overly optimistic right now, you know, on either end because you know, you know that Kentucky is so shorthanded right now with seven scholarship guys, and 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 it's really tough to get any type of legitimate chemistry and 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 momentum that way when when you don't have a, a set rotation and 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 guys playing more minutes than usual and and um people doing more than what they what they need to be doing you know like a Johnny Juzang had a bigger role carved out last night for him um than he had been used to to start the season and it's just so tough whenever you have a guy like EJ Montgomery out right now who was supposed to be such a big focal point of this team um just but I I kind of crunched some numbers earlier today. I, I wrote a post on KSR and Travis. You bring up a really good point about the shooting numbers on both ends because it's not just the it's not just the fact that they are missing a ton of of shots. They are. I mean, yes, they went one of twelve last night. Eight point one percent brought their their season average down to twenty one point three percent, which is good for. 342nd in the nation. There are only at, at this moment in time, there are only eight teams in college basketball that are shooting worse the, worse from three than Kentucky. It's that bad. But it, and when you take an even closer look at it, that's where it gets really upsetting. Is because the shots that they they're not that the shots that they are taking they they are 299th in the nation in three-point attempts, and they're so the, the average is 15.25 attempts in four games. So they are not taking the shots. They're, the, the shot totals are not there. And even the shots that they do take, the 15.25 in the, in, in, uh, that average, they're not hitting even 
close to a, a, a reasonable average number for how low that attempt number is. It is that the numbers right now are just mind-boggling. I'm, I'm going down my post right now. They are 263rd in the nation with a .78 assist-to-turnover ratio. 43 assists and 55 turnovers on the year. 292nd in the nation in just total assists per game at 10.8 assists per game. They are only they're they're only getting 11 assists per game out of this team. I mean, it's that that is that in itself. They're they're just not moving the ball. There's no efficiency whatsoever. I mean, the the passing that they do right now, it's just back and forth on the perimeter like like hot potato. Like, oh no, you you, you do something with it. No, you do something. Like there's no level of consistency and fluidity with this team right now. It's just it's just you know, when they get to that into the half court set, it's just like like nobody wants the ball. Nobody wants to to take over it's just it's just ugly ugly basketball right now i'm, I'm yeah, last night i think uh last night i think that they could have lost last um that game if the rest had a tighter whistle that's what's bailing them out right now is they're able to drive it in the shot clock and get fouled seven out of ten times i think that's one thing too that might and it happens a lot off the drive so it may not now that you make that point it may not skew the numbers on uh the assist is bad is what I was going to say. But, you know, if I make an assist or a dish to you and you get fouled and it sets you up and you make two foul shots, I don't get an assist for foul shots. And that's the one thing that they've got going right now. I mean, they were 31 for 34 last night, which is just a mind-boggling. Uh, they get to the line a lot. And it's happened a lot off penetration. Uh, but like you say, it's, it's not necessarily setting up the assist. So, that's one thing they do. Um, I think Utah Valley from last night, I understand probably the foul situation. I understand, too, you zone the team when you don't think they can shoot. I think Mark Madsen bailed Kentucky out a little bit. Travis talked about the tight whistle. also think he might have bailed him out a little bit when he went zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I understand the fouls are piling up against the man, but John Felder gets it zone. John Calipari was really good. Uh, because he attacked that zone beautifully with some different looks uh, without having the threat of an outside shot, which is really tough to do. But I thought they they got some excellent looks against it, got to the rim a lot, drew fouls, and uh, I I just kind of wonder if he would have stayed in the man-to-man because Kentucky just right now gets the man. They just look so out of sync. I just uh, I wonder how that thing would have turned out if he was stayed in it. I'm I'm glad that he did. Yeah, it, and you bring up a you guys you guys both bring up a good point with uh, the free throw shooting. They are 78.9 percent um, at the line right now, good for 26 in the nation, which is it, it's pretty good. But number one in the SEC, which is a really good sign. Um, one thing that really really impressed me, David, you mentioned earlier about Ashton Hagens and just how much he was able to. Overcome. I mean, Calipari said that he was playing at eighty percent last night. So when you factor in that he was not all there um, defensively, he was really struggling. He was getting beat very, you know, really, really bad on on, on a relatively consistent basis. Um, but when when you, he kind of realized that he's getting beat and that he's he is giving up points, he kind of took it upon himself to not just 
jack up uh, jack up three point shots that we've seen from him earlier in the year, or you know, randomly take a bunch of of mid range shots and or whatever. He was attacking the basket relentlessly. He was initiating contact using his using his strength and finishing at the rim. Um, he didn't finish all of his attempts at the rim. He, that's still a major problem for him. But he was getting to getting to the line because he made it a point of emphasis. He was, I mean, he was coming in from the baseline. He was coming in from the top of the key. He was, you could tell he had one job last night in in his eyes, and that was to to get to the line. And and, and if he wasn't going to be able to score or play play defense elsewhere, he was gonna he was gonna get it from from the free throw line. So that was something that really impressed me. Obviously, Nick. Richards oh my goodness that was a, a one heck of a performance he was he was doing it all his shot out to 12 15 feet is just absolute money right now it cracked me up that, Cal, that Calipari said last night that he was uh Kentucky's best shooter right now which I mean it's hard to believe but I mean it's is it really that that far off I mean it's uh, he's he's at least showing some level of consistency that the rest of the team has not has not shown so far um, his mid-range jumper is like I tweeted yesterday in the game, I said you can say whatever you want about Nick Richards, uh, but that 10, 15 foot jump shot is pretty smooth, regardless if it goes in and he shoots with confidence. It looks good every time it leaves his hand, and he shoots that better than the guards shoot three pointers up until this point. Yeah, they absolutely, absolutely do. Um, yeah, but defense, it, it it was just not a good, not a good performance. Um, just a lot to work on. You you want to be overly critical and and say that but at the same time you you have to understand that um this is a very very hobbled Kentucky team it's it's okay to call out their 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 and be critical right now call out their flaws right now but with the but with the mindset of knowing that's right this second saying Right now, the numbers are abysmal. It's okay to say that. It's not just because this team looks absolutely god awful right now and and have no semblance of of fluidity and, and comfort offensively, and they're struggling defensively. Like just because of that, does not mean that they don't project as a long term legitimate Final Four contender. That I I still see. Even with these ugly games and these in this ugly loss against Evansville, all of that combined. They still have high potential. I still have high hopes for EJ Montgomery when he comes back to to turn things around, and Nick Richards to find some level of consistency and, and allow Nate Sestina to go back to his his role player, um, his, his status as a role player instead of as the premier big on this team. I mean, it, it, he wasn't brought in to be that player. He was brought in to be a third option in the front court, and uh, it's it's very. Very cool that um, that that we at least have that have that going for us moving forward. Um, and you know, sometimes it's easy to forget, but let's go back a year. Do you remember at the end of November how poor how poorly this team was struggling last year? Absolutely. Um, and they couldn't defend. They were really having problems offensively. You know, Tyler Hero couldn't make a shot, mm-hmm. and. Um, People were saying, man, I thought he was a shooter, and I was one of them. Uh, and I, I remember, you know, they played Greensboro down here, and the guy from Greensboro was just lighting them up. And it just seemed like every game, and I'm thinking, man, is it ever easy? How come every game they play is like this? Now, oh, they didn't get beat by Evansville. They mm-hmm. didn't get pushed as much as they did here. And the, ceil- and the floor has been lower with this team the last years, 
but last year's team didn't have the injuries this team's had either. Yeah. So that's why I said kind of let this come together and and let's see what let's see what happens. Yep, absolutely. Now let's uh we can we can kind of round home here. Uh final thoughts. Has your has your mindset about this team and the overall potential uh changed based on what you've seen so far kind of an adding on to what what you just said David do you still have the the high hopes that that you did going into the year as 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 you do now do you still think that this can be a legitimate title contender can I break a story right quick do it would you like that or would you like a story broke I, I can do both the stories quickly uh, BJ Boston will sign tomorrow I uh, just got confirmation from his high school coach at Sierra Canyon, Andre Savalier. I'm trying to – hopefully by the time we get off here, I can let you know what time. I've, I've sent that text out, but he did say he would be committing tomorrow. He did confirm that. Sweet. There you go. Well, all of the the worries are, are now – are, are now over thank thank you for that david we find something else to worry about that that is, is very true Just like the team which, that you're about to tell us that, <laughs> that you're worried about <laughs> yeah exactly so ask me that one more time on the team i'm sorry i'm just saying has have have your thoughts on the high, the the potential of this team and you know they were the number two team going into the year and everybody th- kind of penciled them in as a legitimate final four uh, team, ha- based on what you've seen so far, ha- has has your mind changed at all? Do you still think that this projects as an elite team to close out the season? Well, I never thought that they, honestly, myself, that they were a Final Four team because unless Nick Richards and AJ just just played out of their mind and, and, and played to their ceiling, um, I thought it was a Sweet Sixteen to Elite Eight team. I still think it can be that. Um, so, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to see uh, – interesting to see how – obviously, quickly, I think quickly Hagens and Maxi are going to be okay. I like both those guys. I, I think that's a three-headed monster as the season goes on. Uh, Nick Richards has shown some flashes. I thought E.J. Montgomery, if you asked me who the key player was going to be on his team, I said before the season started – it was E.J. Montgomery because I feel he's the guy that's really got all that potential and they need to post game. Uh, so I, I just don't feel like uh, taking the gamble on Nick Richards just on his back night in and night out, night out when you've got to have post defense that you can do that. So uh, uh, some guys are going to have to play a lot better. These injured guys are going to have to come back. But right now, I mean, I, I see no reason – as they improve, why this could be a sweet 16 team and then maybe can get to the elite eight. And Travis? I still think, like I said time and time again, that I don't think this is going to end up being a great team, but it can, it can be a, a pretty damn good team. And that's all it's going to take to win it all this year because of how far college basketball is down. I will say that I'm kind of, it's kind of giving me pause how bad Kentucky's shooting early on, which I'm not going to sit here and act like they're not going to get better because they will. They have nowhere to go but up. But I was counting on this being one of Cal's best shooting teams, and I think they have to be in March for them to get where they want to be. And the guy that I think is going to be the X factor in how far this team can go is Keon Brooks. You see flashes of it, and I think he's gaining more confidence by uh, by the game. And 
I think he's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch his growth throughout the season. And I think, I think he can end up being in the starting lineup sooner rather than later. And he's just hiring energy guy. And he's, the game's still fast him. The game's got to slow down to him. But once he gets it figured out, uh, it's going to change the dynamic of this Kentucky team. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't build the offense around Khalil Whitney either, but, you know, Khalil Whitney, he's shown that he can step up. He's knocked down a, a three or two. I, I really don't want him shooting that shot, but he's kind of shown that mid-range jump or two out to about 18 feet. So, you know, he, he's, like I said, I, I still kind of hold my breath, you know, because I really don't know what to expect yet, but he has shown that he can make it. Yeah, those are two players that are absolute – absolute X factors on this team. If there was one move that, that Keon Brooks had last night where he took the ball, he was on the, the left corner, um, He's and he, he took it baseline. He I think it was a – he had somebody he, he pump faked, drove drove the baseline, and kind of overpowered a guy and went straight up and, and dunked it. Either, it was either a dunk or just a really strong layup. And I remember thinking, that is what we need right there. It, it, just that attack mentality. Just understand that you are bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic than everybody on the on the floor, and just go at their throat. Go, just attack them at the rim and dunk on them. That's how what I think about Khalil Whitney. The dude has a forty three inch vertical. He is strong. He's. I mean, he has. Even though he struggles with turnovers and, and his ball handling is suspect and and all that, he has good basketball instincts to and. But he's just not using them. He he has a good basketball IQ. He's just not using it right now. It's like he's playing scared and and not understanding. Okay, I am. I could be one of the most dominant players on the floor if I just attack the basket the way I did in high school. If I just go at these guys like they are high school players, like I did last year. You know, at, as a senior, I, I could be. He could be oh, a high level player. I think with guys like Khalil Whitney. Uh, they're so used to the speed of the high school game that they don't have to use very much lateral quickness because, see, Clue is straight line fast, but if you ask him to turn the corner on somebody, he can't do it yet. That's the, if he can figure out how to do that, he's going to be a special player at the collegiate level. Um, if we see it this year, it, it remains to be seen, but I think that that's the biggest key for – he's relied on his athleticism for so long, and he – he gets here and he's got he actually has to uh create off the dribble and outside of uh one dribble pull-ups i haven't really seen much from him in that aspect that'll be the biggest thing for his growth as the season goes on well we're going to find out in december with with louisville and um um ohio state you know they're, they're both in, uh, in the top 10 now ohio state's just been they pounded villanova and i've got to see them a little bit so you know, they'll they'll get some big tests. And um, I watch Utah. They've got a young team. I watched Utah against Minnesota the other night. You know, Utah won that game, and and they're not bad. So, uh, you know, Kentucky's going to have to make improvements since, you know, by by the time they play them. Or, you know, Utah could beat them too. Don't think they can. So, uh, you know, like I said, they get through these mid-majors. And I like to see how they improve. That's one thing I really like. And then – then you can go in in December and say, man, you know, they've gotten better. You know, it really started clicking last year when they played North Carolina. 
mm-hmm. uh, in late December. That's when you could see it. And then the next two months, um, um, they were really off the charts. Yeah, that's a great point. I, you guys both brought up good points for for that it's that it's okay to be concerned right now, but not necessary to uh, pretend the sky is falling like the season's season's over and and um, and, and all of that. I think that this team has the potential to be a, a long-term, a, a legitimate team when it comes time for March that they can make a solid run. Um, we just got to let them get get through with their early um, – with that those early struggles and let them get healthy. That is the, the biggest part. We can't make any any long-term judgments until that happens. Um, and with that, let's – Let me ask you all a question real it. quick. Um, you see this team still – or you see this team right now. Do you think – I think we're all under the uh, impression that Dante Allen has a very high chance of returning for the second semester. Uh, he could redshirt this year, but I think he returns for the second semester at some point. Uh, his mom posted a video of him playing uh, – or uh, dunking today, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that he changes the outlook of this team, or do you think that his role is going to be very minimal this year? Yeah, that's a great question. That I'm I'm glad you reminded me of that because I was I was ready to end this end this show. But um, yeah, that was that was one thing I 100% wanted to get to. Man, this is a kid that scored that averaged 42 points per game last year before he tore his ACL. He he averaged 15 rebounds a game. He is a walking bucket. And no, I don't think that he is going to be you know, the end-all, be-all savior that this team is looking for. But just in terms of of a depth, first and foremost, that is the biggest priority. This team needs bodies in practice. As much as Calipari says, oh, yeah, we're doing four-on-four stuff. No, I, I don't care. They need bodies to, to play legitimate five-on-five in practice and compete as if they are they are in an actual game scenario. You can only do so much in, in four-on-four drills and, and, you know, various other – makeshift drills to you know emulate that that game scenario it doesn't it doesn't matter you gotta the only way to get better the way they need to get better is is on legitimate five on five scenarios and and getting a guy like Dante Allen back who can keep the defense you know on their toes and 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 score buckets in a hurry um on guys you know on the wing you know he'd be able to score on on Khalil and Keon Brooks and and kind of hold them accountable on the defensive end of the floor I think that is going to be huge um just just be able to get him in the game and just say we need five quick points we need three quick buckets from you just just get out there and and score score in a hurry and we'll you know we'll we'll sit you back down and and let you rest like you don't need to rush him back into things but just let him find his groove um and minimal minimal opportunities i think he would be a a phenomenal phenomenal addition in the second semester david what do you think it's um hard to tell from the just as far as the impact because he's he's not played in a year and when he would come back it would be sec it's not going to be against eastern kentucky and more in state guys like that it's it's going to be against your auburns and your tennessees um so i I think that's tough to ask for especially if you think you can come in and add things offensively because i think that's what a lot of people would be expecting I have asked this question watching games as much as I've struggled. That's one thing. Dante Allen was the guy that some of these other guys are not coming out of high school. He was the skilled guy, mm-hmm. not the athletic guy whose skill had to catch up. 
but he could put it in a bucket. So, uh, you know, I would love to see him healthy right now. Uh, I think he can help. I really do. And that's, uh, yeah. C- coming off injuries, it's tough. Uh, but I think for the points that you made, depth in practice, depth in games, if there's more injuries, yeah, he might be able to help. But you have to ask yourself, too, do you blow a red shirt on him if everybody gets back for the second half of the season if you're playing, I don't know, just a couple minutes a game? Or do you really wait? Because I think he could really be a help on down the road as he grows into his high school career. And then you're starting to talk about 2022, uh, you know, as he gets to that latter part and he's a letterman on his team, junior, senior, whatever, uh, you don't know who you're going to get then. And man, uh, seniors may be like gold by that time. That is one heck of a point right there. Yeah. That is something that, that, that we absolutely need to factor in. I mean, if, if this one and done rule ends as people expect, like getting high level talent who, you know, he, at that point he had been, he'd be in, if he does redshirt, he'd be in the system for three years. Uh, no, and, and potentially take over as a lead, you know, a lead scoring role. I mean, that could be, that could play a pay off in, in a major way. So yeah, I mean that, I think that is something to, to think about. Um, I talked to an individual close to the Kentucky program this summer, um, kind of in the midst of, of seeing seeing him on campus and, and rehabbing, and they did not think that a red shirt was was coming. That that he wants to play. Um, I asked him at media day. He said that that he is he is gearing up to play this year, not not to sit out the whole year. But uh, I think he did say that he would be open to it if the coaching staff said that we need you to red shirt. Um, but I, I think if if he is going to play or that if if he is able to play that the coaching staff is going to let him let him to have that opportunity um I, I i just think with with what this team needs right now scoring scoring on the wing he would be the perfect perfect addition and and who knows we're still several months away from that um you know if he comes back in the second semester so we'll we'll just have to see and and weigh it out but it's a great great start that he is at least um, ready to practice here in the next w- couple weeks and is dunking a basketball. That's 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 pretty uh, substantial news. And with that, let's end it. Let's um, call it quits. Um, before we wrap this up, uh, David, where can where can fans find your work? Uh, Cats Illustrated um, on the uh, Rivals Network and also um, on uh, Twitter, Coach David Sisk and Travis. You can find me on Castle Show as well, alongside David. And you can find me on Twitter at Trav underscore Graf. You can listen to my other podcast that we were recording right after this one called the Cat Scam Podcast. It's on uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, all those podcast outlets. So we'll have John Young, four-star football commit on tonight to talk some football recruiting in the current state of the football program. And it is on Twitter at, at uh, Cat with a K Scan Pod. Very cool, and you can find me on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR. If you're interested in sponsoring this show, don't hesitate to reach out to me there or via email, jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. Travis is on more airwaves than Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) I look on my timeline and I'll see like, what's he not on? 
What's podcast going on? Like I, 10 yeah, different. I, can't, I can't wait for Christmas holidays so I can turn on Colin Cowherd and watch him in the morning. I can't wait. <laughs> it's happening. All of, all of us are. We're going we're gonna to take, take this podcast over, and, and we're going to have our own, our own national radio show here in a minute. You just, you just wait, guys. Let's do it. Absolutely. And with that, we will be back next week for another Jam Packed Source of Say podcast. We will see you then. Oh,